Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, The Lion's Den. So we learned last, um, just a few minutes ago, that the weekly Sabbath never changed. It's on Saturday, the um, seventh day of the week, according to the Bible. So why is it that most of Christendom worships on Sunday? It was um, a normal day for Daniel. He was going around doing his work, doing what God had told him to do, the best he knew how to do. And um, the king started to take notice. King Darius noticed how good Daniel was. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. And so he kept promoting Daniel. And pretty soon, Daniel was the number one in the kingdom, second only to himself. And Daniel just did everything perfectly. Well, this really began to irritate and bother the other you know, leaders and the princes and rulers in the realm because Daniel just got promoted so quickly and so fast and he, he went ahead of them. It was, they were in line for the promotion. How come Daniel got it? And so they began to study Daniel, began to study him to see what he was doing and how they could trip him up because if they could figure out some way, something he was doing wrong, they could go and tell the king, well, Daniel did this wrong and that wrong and so, you know, I really should be second in command. Well, I don't know how long they were watching and studying Daniel, but as they're studying Daniel, they couldn't find a single thing wrong with him. This guy did everything right. He didn't mess up. He didn't cheat. Nobody was bribing him. It, it just was, they, he, they couldn't get him. And so they began to notice something in his, in his schedule, habits he had. He would go home three times a day, open his windows to the east, kneel down, and pray. And so as their minds begin to think and as their minds are turning and turning, if we want to get Daniel out of office, there's only going to be one way we're going to do it, and it's going to have to do with his God. We're going to have to do something to get him out of office using his God. And so as they're thinking and as they're scheming, they're like, you know, kings have really big egos. How about we do this? And so they put together a plan, and it's perfect. They've devised the perfect plan, the way that they are going to get Daniel. And so they go in, and they get an audience with the king, and they start buttering him up. Oh, King Darius, you're amazing, and you're awesome, and you're wise, and you're benevolent, and you're good. You know, we kind of think you're like God. And he's sitting there going, that's nice. I, I can handle that. You know what, king? We are so impressed with you. We, it just, we have decided that you should write a law that for the next 30 days that everybody in your entire kingdom should worship only you. No other God. Do nothing else but worship just you. Well, I am that kind of good, aren't I? And so the king Darius is kind of feeling really proud of himself. And they're like, you know, king, we are so impressed that we took the trouble of drawing up the law for you. So all you have to do is sign it. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I think I'll do that. And so he signs it. And then he takes off his signet ring and dips it in wax and puts the seal on it. It is now sealed with the laws of the Medes and Persians. Anybody who breaks this law will be thrown into the lion's den. And they say, oh, king, you deserve it. We're going to worship you for the next 30 days. And as they back out, they're praising and they're praying to the king. And he's just totally enjoying this. And as they walk into the hallway, they're giving high fives. And they're like, we've done it. We've finally done it. And so the law was sent out. It was proclaimed that the next 30 days is going to be time to worship our king God. He is the best God in all the world. He is our king. He's our ruler. And we're just going to worship him and only him. And if you break the law, you'll be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel has a choice. He heard the law. And he goes home. And he does exactly what he did every other day. He opens his windows and he kneels down and prays. And the other princes and the rulers were watching and they were waiting and they see Daniel and they're like, we got him. And so they run back almost immediately, few hours after they left the king and said, king, didn't you just sign into law that anybody that worshipped anybody but you would be thrown in the lion's den? 
He's like, well, yes, I did. And they're like, well, Daniel is worshiping another god. The king realized what he'd just done. He had just signed the death sentence of his top worker and his friend. And so he spends the rest of the day looking through all the rulings, through all the books he possibly can, trying to find a way. But he knows that the laws of the Medes and the Persians, they stand. They cannot be revoked. And so by the end of the day, the rulers come in and they're like, hey, king, you've got to act on this broken law before the end of the day. And so the king says, all right. And they go, and they go to Daniel's house, and Daniel's waiting for them, doesn't put up a struggle. He knows he broke the law. And he goes with them willingly, and the king goes to the tomb, and all the while he's saying, Daniel, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean it. I didn't know I got caught up. I'm sorry. And Daniel doesn't say a whole lot. And, he, and they throw Daniel into the lion's den, and they're roaring, and the king says on the way down, may the God that you believe in protect you. May he save you. And then wax is poured over the tomb and the king's seal is put in it so that no one can rescue Daniel from his fate. And the king goes home and he spends all night worrying, what have I done? I've just made the biggest mistake of my life. What have I done? And he goes back as soon as it light outside. He runs back to the tomb and he has the soldiers roll away the, the stone from the tomb and he's like, Daniel, Daniel, it was your God? Was he able to save you? And a voice calls up, O king, live forever. The God I worship. Shut the lion's mouth. And the king is like, yeah, that's so cool. Okay, throw down the ropes and pull him up. And they throw down and they pull Daniel up. And the king is now furious he'd been tricked. And he says, send for those princes. Send for those people who drafted the laws and throw them in. And as they were being thrown in with their wives and their kids, the lions tore them to pieces before they even hit the floor of the den. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, is faced with a dilemma. The dilemma is around worship. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, page 716. Daniel chapter 6, page 716. Daniel chapter 6, page 716. Daniel chapter 6, that would be why I'm in the wrong place. Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to read verse 10. It says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done before, giving thanks to his God. Daniel is given a choice. Worship God, the God of your fathers, or worship man. Worship something other than God. And Daniel, you know, I often wondered growing up as a child, why didn't he just hide it? Why didn't he just go home and go in the closet and pray? Why did he have to broadcast it? Well, why didn't he just hide it? Daniel knew that hiding it would be just as strong of a testimony to the other people that God didn't matter as worshiping the king. And so Daniel doesn't change a thing he's doing. He opens the windows wide, probably seeing his accusers standing there waiting for him. They knew him well enough to know that Daniel was going to pray. They knew that they had him. And so Daniel kneels down and prays. And it says here that he thanks God. He's just heard that he gets to be thrown to the lion's den. Daniel is given a choice. Do I worship God the way I know I'm supposed to? Or do I worship something else because I've been told to? Now, we don't live in Daniel's time. None of us are facing a lion's den, unless you go to the zoo and climb in by yourself. But... The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 14 that we are facing a challenge with worship 
just like Daniel was. Turn to Revelation chapter 14, page 1016. Revelation chapter 14, 1016. This is happening just before Jesus comes back. Revelation chapter 14. Um, it tells us in verse 14, um, it describes Jesus coming back in the clouds. And so just before Jesus comes back in the clouds, there's a call that goes out. Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't want anybody to perish. And so there's a last call. There's one last battle between good and evil. And that is what is being talked about in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It says, and I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news. We talked about that earlier. The eternal good news is that we are saved by grace, by Jesus' death. And this good news is supposed to be proclaimed to everybody, to people who belong to the world, to every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. So the first angel's message is there's good news. There's good news, and the good news is you are saved by grace because Jesus came and died and took your place. But there's going to be a judgment. So if you don't worship, and it tells us who to worship. So the first angel tells us who we're supposed to worship. And we learned last time that Exodus chapter 20 is quoted here in Revelation. It says, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. It's a quote from the Ten Commandments, and it's a quote on keeping the seventh day holy. And we know that God has asked us to keep the seventh day Sabbath holy. And so the first angel is saying, listen, there's a message going out that there's good news, and we need you to worship the creator. The reason we ask you to worship him is because he created you. He gave you life, and we need you to worship him on his seventh day. That's the first angel's message. And then the next angel says, and the next angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen, that great city is fallen, because she made the nations of the world drink of the wine of her passionate immorality. Babylon, in the book of Revelation, is seen as a people, a negative people, people who are in contrast of God. So Babylon, this nation, has made people drink of her immorality. So a nation, a people that is not doing what God wants, they have made people follow what God doesn't want them to do. Just like in Daniel's day, all the princes, they made an edict that everybody in the kingdom had to follow unless they want to get thrown into the lion's den. So there's a call that's going out that people are going to try to distract you. People are going to try to trick you, to try to make you drink of the wine of their immorality, not doing what God wants you to do. And so the first angel saying there is good news that you're saved by grace. You're saved because God loves you. But listen, God's going to judge. And he's going to judge off worship. We're supposed to worship the creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's a quote of Exodus chapter 20, where it talks about the seventh-day Sabbath. And then the second angel comes and says, listen, Satan's going to be there, and he's going to be trying to trick you. He's going to try to get you to do something that is in contrast to what God wants you to do. And then a third angel comes. It says, a third angel followed them, shouting, everyone who worships the beast his statue or accepts his mark on their forehead or on their hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night for they worship the beast and the statue and accepted the mark of his name. What is that talking about? All three of these angels are talking about worship. And what you find in Revelation, the book of Revelation, is the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, tells us what the book is about. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. So Revelation isn't about a beast. It isn't about strange images that come out of the sea and other stuff. Revelation is about Jesus Christ. And about end time event, what soon is going to take place. But what you find in Revelation is there's always a real, and then there's a fake. And so there is 
God is telling us about a worship, the last cosmic battle, the last thing that's going to happen is going to be about worship. It's going to be about who to worship. The first angel says, worship God who created the heavens and the earth. And the third angel says, if you worship the beast, you get to go in the lake of burning fire and all this other stuff. So how many of you want to do that? I don't. So we need to figure out what this means. What is this talking about? Just like in Daniel's time, we have adversaries. Daniel's adversaries were people who were jealous of his position. Our adversaries are slightly worse. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, page 969. 1 Peter chapter 5, just a few books before this. 1 Peter chapter 5, page 969. 1 Peter chapter 5, page 969. Our adversary is... 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. says, Stay alert. Watch out for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So, Daniel's got jealous people after him. We've got the devil, a roaring lion, seeking to devour us. Like I said, everything in Revelation has a true and a false. So Satan is copying something. In order to get the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's something that Satan will give us. We've got to figure out what he's trying to copy, what he's trying to do. And so Revelation tells us about a seal of God. We have a choice. We can either have the mark of the beast or the seal of God. So what is the seal of God? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. Revelation chapter 7, 10, 12, verse 2. Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. It says, And I saw another angel coming from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. He shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. So just before God lets calamity hit the world, because there's four angels that have been released, and they're going to do all sorts of destructive things on the earth, God says, wait, I've got to mark the people who are mine, the people who accept me, and I'm going to put a seal on their forehead. God has a seal. Satan has a mark. And where can we get God's seal? It says, wait, don't hard the lands, the seas, or the tree until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Where do we get the seal of God? On our forehead. All right, we'll, we'll come back to that, why it's there. So we start out knowing that God has a seal. Then if we turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, the last shout goes out. The first angel's message is the last battle is going to be about worship. And that's when the mark of the beast is going to be handed out. So the seal of God has something to do with what happens beforehand. It's about God's true worship. You find it interesting in the Old Testament, in order for a king to have a true seal, like um, in the, on their coins, for it to be a true king's coin, it had to have three things. The seal had to have the name of the person, their title, and their territory. Even the United States would have a similar seal. We had the United States, you know, we would have President of the United States. United States is a territory, and the title would be President. So is there any place in the Bible where God puts his seal on something? The seal that is realized in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read verse 8 through 11, Exodus chapter 20. See if you can find a seal of God in here. Remember, a seal has the person's name, their title, and their territory. It says, remember to observe the seventh day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigner living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. 
But the seventh day he rested, and that's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Do you see a seal in there? We have the Lord is named. He's creator. It said he made the heavens, the earth. So the Lord is his name. His title is creator. And his territory is the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. The very commandment that is quoted in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, fear God, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water, is the very place where God puts his seal in the Old Testament. It's a place where it tells us that he is Lord, he's our creator, and his territory is all the earth. It's in that same verse in the Old Testament, the only one that has a seal of God out of the Ten Commandments, that God tells us to worship the seventh day. And so the first angel is calling us to worship the creator. He's told us to worship on the seventh day. The commandment that tells us to worship on the seventh day is the one that has his seal, his sign. And it tells us in Revelation chapter 7 that God's people are going to have their seal on, his fore- on their foreheads. God's seal is a seventh-day Sabbath and worshiping him on that day. For everything that God sets out in Revelation, Satan puts a counterfeit out. And so the last, the final struggle between good and evil as mapped out in the three angels' message, the third angel's message says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, page 1016, Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, page 1016, It says, then the third angel followed, shouting, anyone who worshiped the beasts, his statue, or who accepts the mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into the cup of God's wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshiped the beast, his statue, and have accepted the mark of his name. First angel's message is about worshiping the creator. Second angel, third angel's message is about worshiping the beast. The real versus the fake. So we know that God's seal, God's sign that we can get is his seventh-day Sabbath. It's about worship. So what is Satan's seal? What is the devil's sign? Revelation spends quite a while telling us what that is. Turn to Revelation chapter 13, page 1015. Revelation chapter 13, page 1013, and we're going we're gonna to just read some of this, and we're going to decipher what it means as we're going along. Revelation, the one cool thing about the Bible is the Bible kind of translates itself a lot of times. Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Okay, so first we have a beast rising up out of the sea. That seems to make sense to us, right? What does the sea mean in Revelation. A mass of people. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 17, verse 15 tells us. So jump over to Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. Revelation chapter 17, verse 15 says, Then the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represents masses of people of every nation and language. So water in Revelation represents masses of people. Okay, so let's go back to Revelation chapter 13. We'll keep reading. We'll see what we come up with. It says, Then I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So I saw a beast, we don't know what the beast is yet, rising out of masses of people. Okay? It had seven heads and ten horns, and the ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, had feet of a bear, had mouth of a lion. Does have we encountered a leopard, a bear, and a lion before in Daniel? The, the, one of the things is John knew Daniel. And so John uses a lot of the same in, imagery as Daniel. So a lot of times to help us understand Revelation, we go back to Daniel to figure out who these are. So who is the lion? If you, um, if you look in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7 tells us, a lot about who 
who all these people are and what they represent. See, Daniel chapter 7. And that's page um, 717. Daniel chapter 7. Okay, so first we have a beast that's a mix of a lion, a leopard, and a bear. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 4, it says, The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with two hind feet on the ground, like a human being, and it was given a human mind. So the lion, if remember what we talked about, the lion references Daniel chapter 2, the dream that Daniel had. The lion represents Babylon. In fact, if you look in the ruins of Babylon, archaeologists, it's about 60 miles south of Baghdad today. You can go and look. They have uncovered walls, and on the walls of Babylon, there is lions with eagle's wings. That's what it was known for in, the, in its times. That was its symbol, what it was. And so in Revelation, we find that there is a lion... And this beast has wings. So we have a lion with eagle's wings. So part of this beast, as Daniel tells us, is representing Babylon. The second part of the beast is a bear. And in Daniel chapter 7, hang on, I just lost it. Daniel chapter 7, keep your... Daniel chapter 7, it tells us... Um, verse 5, exactly. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying, Get up, devour the flesh of many people. This corresponds back to the dream in Daniel chapter 2. What came after Babylon? The head of gold, Medes and the Persians. It tells us um, this beast rearing up on one side, it represents the fact that the Medes were stronger than the Persians and eventually got dominance over them. The three ribs in its mouth represents the fact that um, the Medes and the Persians went to conquer three other kingdoms. And so it went and it conquered stuff to the north, to the south, and to the west, which are the three other kingdoms. So part of the beast of Revelation chapter 13 is the Medes and the Persians. And then we have a leopard. What is a leopard? Daniel chapter 7 Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads, given great authority. um, What great authority was given to this beast? What is the third kingdom of Daniel chapter two? We have Babylon, the head of gold; Medes and the Persians, the chest of silver. Then we have Greece, the thighs of brass, and it talks about that Greece. It. it's a leopard. What do we know in the animal kingdom? Why, what is a leopard known for? Speed. Leopards are known for speed. Now put wings on a leopard. How fast is that? Very fast. The first king of Greece was Alexander the Great. He had conquered the then known world by age 33. The four heads, is, that's pretty fast, right? I'm almost 30 and I haven't really done very much conquering. Um, that's <laughs> um, He was fast. Greek the Greece empire was represented by the leopard. And then here it says that this beast had four heads. When Alexander the Great died at age 33, his four generals took its place. Okay? After Greece, on the Daniel 2 statue, we have the head of gold, which is Babylon, the chest of silver, which is the Medes and the Persians, the thighs of brass, which is Greece, we have the legs of iron. What did the legs of iron represent? Rome. So go back to Revelation chapter 13. What happened to Rome? After Rome in the, in the statue, what happened next? What? The feet of iron and clay, which was a mixed kingdom, right? And so let's read this again. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, which represents what? People. So I saw a beast coming out of a lot of people. It had a crown on it. Uh, it had crowns on its horns, and written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard. It had the feet of the bear and the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave the beast its own authority and throne and great authority and power. Sorry, I read that wrong. So we have a beast that was comprised of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the, Greek, the, Gre- the Greeks, 
And it says it has ten heads and ten horns. And this beast is given great power to rule. Rome was given great power to rule for a very long time. And then it split into ten divisions. And so we're talking about a beast that is acting during the time of Rome and just after. Does that make sense? If we follow the prophecies in Daniel chapter 2, because this beast has ten heads and ten horns, and after Rome, which is powerful and ruled, it was divided into ten. So we're talking about a beast that is functioning during this time. So, during this, um, what happened, let's look in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Revelation chapter 12. We want to figure out who the dragon is because the dragon gives this beast some authority. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, is the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So who is the dragon giving this beast authority? Satan. All right. Now, what happened when Jesus was living here on this earth? What, what power was in rule when Jesus was living on this earth? Rome was in power, right? And what powers did Satan use to try to attack and defeat Jesus? The Roman powers. We have Herod was a Roman um, who tried to kill all the baby boys. We have, you know, Pontius Pilate. All these people who tried to kill and eventually killed Jesus were Roman. So Satan is going through and he's using a Roman power to try to kill and defeat Jesus. So as we read in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, it says, And I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed to have been wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at the miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they worshipped the beast who is... Um, who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed, who was able to fight against him. Then the beast was allowed to speak blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted to for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. This is, um, this is those who dwell in heaven. So we get a picture of a beast who came after Babylon, after the Greeks after the Medes and Persians, sometime out of Rome, and it's sometimes after Rome divides. So let's look in history, and let's figure out what power is a blasphemous power, because it says that this beast blasphemes. And one of the things that you want to know about Daniel and Revelation is that beasts represent kingdoms. And remember we said Daniel interprets Revelation a lot, so let's flip over to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, it's page 718. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. Um, This is, um, the beast here has a lot of the same characteristics and the same properties as this little horn described in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. It says, it's ten horns or ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will arise different from the other ten who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their secret festivals and laws, and he will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. So this says that this beast will come after the ten horns. He will be a different power, and it says that the ten horns are kingdoms. And this power is going to try to change God's religious laws and his festivals. Let's think in history. What does history tell us was the power that came out of Rome? When Rome divided, did another big empire conquer it? No. The barbarians came and they were conquering it. And Constantine was there during the times that the barbarians were coming and Constantine saw that Rome was falling apart and it was going crazy, and so he decided to move his capital to Constantinople in Turkey, away from Rome. But he didn't want to leave the seat of power empty. He didn't want to just leave it vacant because then somebody could come in and claim to rule that part of the world. And so Constantine gave his throne to somebody. Look with me. You guys have an extra little thing that has quotes for this night's lesson. Look at quote number one. 
you don't have it. I think they're over. No. Pastor Gary has it. Quote number one. It says, okay, it says, To the succession of Caesar came the succession of the pontiffs of Rome. When Constantine left Rome, he gave his seat to the pontiff, the professor of Libetian history at the University of Rome. So this is coming out of Rome itself. And history tells us that when Constantine left Rome, who did he give his power to? The Pope. Now I want to make it very, very clear that even though history, and we're going to be talking about the Roman Catholic Church, we are not talking about anybody in particular because there's a whole lot of people out there who are doing the best they can and following God the best they can. But we are talking about an entity that God is using in contrast to his times and laws. And so Constantine gives up his power and the Pope steps into place. And so let's see if the rest of this Revelation chapter 13 matches up with the Roman Catholic Church being the beast. And so it tells us um, that the beast will become a world power in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, All the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, that book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. So let me ask you something. Has the Roman Catholic Church become a world power? Yes, it has become a world power. All right, not only has it become a world power, but in Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, it tells us something else. It says, The beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. He was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. Has the Roman Catholic Church ever had more than just religious power? It had civil power. Let's look at some of the quotes we have here. Look at quote number two. Quote number two says, Under him was very nearly made the papal claim that all earthly sovereigns were merely vassals of the Roman pontiff. Almost all the kings and princes of Europe soar featly, that means loyalty, to him as their overlord. Rome was once more the mistress of the world. This is a Catholic Church historian. It's told that a king had been fallen out of grace with the... Um, with the Pope of Rome, and the Pope made him lie on his side for days in the cold before he was given entrance to even talk to him, to get back in good graces. There was a time when the Roman Catholic Church was definitely not only just a religious power, but it was a civil power as well. It wielded power that is not seen any other where. It's power over the medieval church. Now this power claims blasphemy. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, The beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given great authority to do whatever he wanted to for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Has the Roman Catholic Church ever committed blasphemies? What does the Bible define as blasphemy? Look at John chapter 10, verse 33, page 871. John chapter 10, verse 33. John chapter 10, verse 33. John 10, verse 33 says, They replied, and the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, by the way. They replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Okay, so the Bible describes one way to commit blasphemy is to claim to be God. Look at quote number three. It says, We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty, Pope Leo. Popes claim to be God on earth. All right, what's another way to commit blasphemy? Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 21. Luke chapter 5, verse 21, page 834. 
Luke 5.21 says, And the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Does the Roman Catholic Church have anything to say about that? Look at the fourth quote. It says, Each priest reads this book to understand his duties. It says, God himself is a obligated to abide by the judgment of his priest and either not to pardon or to pardon according to um, as they refuse or give absolution. The sentence of the priest precedes precedes God and God ascribes to it. The Catholic Church is, you know, claiming that they have power to say who is forgiven and who is not. And that's what the Jews themselves says. No, that's blasphemy. That's not cool. Um, the Catholic Church claims that they are the ones who mediate between us and God. First Timothy chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is the only mediator who can mediate between humans and God. Daniel chapter 7, 25, we just read it, said that the Catholic Church... For this beast was going to seek to tame times and laws, religious festivals. Has the church ever tried to change any of God's times, laws, or religious festivals? We're going to read a few of these quotes together, starting with number five. Which is a Sabbath day? Saturday is a Sabbath day. Why do we observe Sunday instead of the Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. This is in the Roman Catholic, used this for years in the convert's catechism. So the Roman Catholics claim it themselves that we changed this sacred festival, which is the seal of God. Then number six says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. This is Faith of Our Fathers by Cardinal James Gibbon a foremost Catholic scholar. Or number seven says, the authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath to Sunday, not by the command of Christ, but by its own authority. So the church doesn't claim to be under the rule of the Bible because they can change important things. Number eight says, the Pope has the power to change times and to obliterate laws and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. And you know what? The, in the, if you look in the Catholic Bible, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they've changed the Ten Commandments. They've taken out the commandment that has to do with um, worshiping images because they have images all over their churches. They call them saints and people are to worship them. And they take, they cut up the seventh day, um, the Sabbath, and then they, in order to get ten, they split the tenth commandment about coveting into two commandments. And then quote number nine says, The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. That's what I was just sharing with you. And quote number nine says, Fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday, yet there is no evidence in the Bible that uh, corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians to honor the resurrection. This quote is basically saying fundamentalists who claim to be, you know, reviving the church and bringing it pure, but they still worship on Sunday. They're still giving allegiance to the Catholic Church because we changed the day of worship and it's not in the Bible. This beast blasphemes against God. It claims to have authority to change times and laws. Matthew 5, verse 17 and 19, page 782 Matthew 5, verse 17, page 782. It tells us, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. 
I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Jesus said God's law is not changing. But the beast, the one that gives us the mark of the beast, changes God's times and laws. This religious power, then it tells us in Revelation chapter 13 that he's going to rule for 42 months. How long is 42 months? 42 months, okay, it, let's figure it out in days. 42 months times 30 days, because that's what they were using back then, is how many days? 1,260 days. And so it says that this beast was going to reign for 1,260 days and persecute those who believe Jesus. It tells us that legally the supremacy of the Pope began in 1538 AD with the decree of Emperor Justine making the Bishop of Rome the head of the churches and the definer of doctrine and the corrector of heretics. And so in 1538, a prophecy begins when the Pope is the official sovereignty is recognized officially. And what happens is if we take the day-for-a-year principle that we learned about in Ezekiel chapter 4 and also stated in Numbers chapter 14, that in God's eyes, a day is like a year. So if we take and we multiply this hundred, um, 1,260 days, it's 1,260 years. And so in Revelation chapter 13, it tells us, The beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God and was given authority to do whatever he wanted to for 42 months, or 1,260 years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God. So this starts... And then this beast, in chapter 13, verse 3, it receives a mortal wound. So, if what's 1,260 years plus the beginning date of 538? It's 1789. Did something happen in 1789 that ended this 1,260 years of the um, beast ruling? Napoleon's marching across, and he's intimidated by the Pope's power, so he sends his general, Berthier, to go, and he captures the Pope. And the Pope is captured, and he dies in captivity. And a mortal wound is struck to the blow. Now, what happens during these 1,260 years? It says that God's people are persecuted by the beast. What do we know that happened between 538 in 1789, what happened to God's church? Uh, uh, Burning at the stake, there was all sorts of things, and all done in the name of church, all done in the name of God, persecuting God's people. So this beast then receives a mortal wound, but after after it, sometime later, the wound is healed, and the beast regains its power, has this entity regained power. This entity has definitely regained its power. It once again has worldwide prominence. We are given a choice, just like Daniel. We are given a choice to have the seal of God or the mark of the beast. Revelation chapter 13, look at verse 16. Revelation 13, verse 16. It says there's going to come a time when he, meaning the beast, requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given the mark on their right hand or their forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number that represents his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the number of the beast and the number of the man. The number is 666. There's a time that's coming when we're going to have to choose. We're going to have to choose between the seal of God and what is the seal of God? The seventh-day Sabbath, as referenced in the first angel's message, or we get the mark of the beast. Now, where's the place we can get the seal of God? The seal of God can only happen on our forehead, but we can get the mark of the beast on our forehead or on our right hand. Why the difference? What's different? What do you do with your head? 
Think. You think, you choose. So you can only get the mark of God by choosing God. But you can get the mark of the beast by not choosing God and just going along with the flow, just doing something. We do stuff with our hands. And so what is the mark of the beast? The beast is supposed to change God's religious times and festivals. It has to do with worship. It has to do with a false worship because it's the anti of what the seal of God is. So if the seal of God is worshiping on the seventh-day Sabbath, the mark of the beast is worshiping on Sunday or any other day. Now I want you to understand that there are a lot of Roman Catholics who are good, God-fearing people who are doing the best they can And the mark of the beast has not been given out yet because it tells us that there's going to come a time that we're required to get the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell. That hasn't happened yet. But the final battle in earth's history is about worship. It's about who are you going to worship. Are you going to worship God who created the heavens and the earth or are you going to worship a man-made entity? We have the same predicament that Daniel was given. Are you going to worship the God that you know, and the way he told you to worship, or are you going to do in the face of death what man is telling you to do? And I'm here today to tell you that if we worship God, there's going to be some persecution. We're going to end up in the lion's den. Um, yes, that um, if you take the Roman numerals and add up the numbers uh, for vicar of God, which it says on the Pope's cap, it does um, equal 666. The numbers add up to 666, which is the number of the man. And I forgot to mention that, so way to catch that. Yeah. 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 So that is, that is correct. Um, and so I want you to understand that just because the Roman Catholic Church has claimed authority, it doesn't belong that God never gives to man. It doesn't mean that someone who is Catholic isn't doing the best they know how to. But there's going to come a time when they're going to be put on the block and they're going to have to make a decision. Just like God says, before his seal is given out, he's given time to choose. He tells the angel to hold back the winds of strife until people have the time to choose. And that time is now. If you choose, you'll end up in the lion's den. But afterwards... In the lion's den, God is going to be there with his angel shutting the lion's mouth. And afterwards, we get heaven. We get God for all eternity. Joshua says, choose today whom you will serve, if it be God or somebody else. And that's what the final conflict of this world is going to happen. It's a war between whether I'm going to listen to God and worship him on his seventh-day Sabbath, or if I'm going to listen to man because it's the easier thing to do and end up with the mark of the beast. My challenge for you today, and I would like you to write on your envelopes, is do you believe that the final battle is between good and evil is about the day of worship? Can you see that in the three angels' message? Will you accept God's seal by worshiping him on the seventh-day Sabbath? And will you trust that even in persecution that God will be with you and that you will ultimately have eternal life. This is what's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And the three angels' message is out there. We need to share the good news. And so you need to make the decision. The time is now. Don't wait, because we don't know when it's happening. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.